Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. Things are heating up on the court today as the semifinals of Dairy Public Library's Dodge Book Tournament are in full swing. For more, we're going live with sports correspondent Dr. John Hellijohn. Thanks, CM. Today has taken a dramatic turn as the Sophocles Oedipus wrecked their competition, taking out the number one seeded team, Oscar Wilden, out, despite team captain Dorian Gray's picture-perfect performance in the early minutes of the match. For more action, stay tuned. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Khan, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hey, hey, constant readers. And today, we are going with part two of our March Madness, antagonist versus protagonist. And today, we are doing the antagonist bracket. Are you guys hyped? Yeah. Sports. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so we had... A lot of good discussion last time about our protagonists, and I'm very excited to get to the finals matchup with them. But of course, you know, we have to go down the other side of the bracket. We got to go through our antagonists. And neither of you have seen what this bracket turned out Mm-mm. to be like. So I'm really interested to see what you guys think of, of some of these matchups. I'm a thousand percent more excited because <laughs> everyone knows King villains are so much more interesting yeah. <laughs> than their uh, than the heroes. Yes, we had. Uh, there's one honorable mention that did not make the bracket that had a really hard time keeping them off the bracket. The flying Say Annie Wilkes. So <laughs> I, <laughs> so CM flips the fucking table. <laughs> It's uh, unforgivable. No, um, <laughs> the flying Coke machine did not make the final bracket. Uh, it was a very close oh, race. Too did, bad. Uh, did guards alcoholism? No, 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 it did not, sadly. All right, let's waste no time and get into our first matchup. As I told you with the protagonists, these were all a random draw for slots. And this first matchup is a humdinger. All right. In our first matchup, we have El Cuco. Versus Leland Gaunt. El Cuco. From The Outsider. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that noise. (laughs) Sorry, I meant to say scary jizz monster is what I meant. Thank you. I forgot that that's how you know. (laughs) name. I'm so, I feel so dumb. Because I... It's completely funny. forgot that was his name. I literally have only thought of him as a jizz monster. <laughs> it's funny because I was really proud of myself that I immediately knew who you were talking uh, about. So I had to fill that space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> only one of us can well, know yeah. who we're talking about at a time. <laughs> and I have to know all of them because I make the bracket. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, so let's let's start things off. Uh, who wants to kick things off with about El Coco? I, I will. Uh, yeah, <laughs> tell us yeah. what you remember yeah. about this character. A lot of people have had sightings of El Cuco. Some people claim that it's like a hyena. Others think it's some sort of animal that doesn't exist. Are, are you thinking of an El Chupacabra? Oh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, okay. El Cuco. El Cuco, the goat sucker. (laughs) This is, I feel like, just off the top of my head, one of the evilest villains because it murders and jizzes on and takes bites out of little kids. I just remembered what that book was about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anytime it crosses the line, anytime Stephen King makes you read about incest or child molestation or murder, it's just, it takes the top. You can't really, I mean, it makes Annie Wilkes look like a saint. But that's a that's something you hold true about every situation. <laughs> what? The sky is blue, which makes you think Annie Wilkes is kind of a saint. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, my immediate thought was just like, him as a monster switching bodies how, and how stuff cool he, yeah, yeah that is, is cool as a monster because uh, you know my first thought was one of the creepiest i i love any you know lovecraftian vagueness in my mm-hmm. in my villains and the he has straws for eyes i still think about that sometimes yeah. just out of nowhere, I'll be laying in bed and be like, he had straws for eyes and be like, <laughs> ben, I'm awake for the, a while. The idea, God, the image I now have of you doing that is scarier than the book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to bed tonight thinking, Ben's thinking he has straws for eyes. <laughs> and I won't be able to sleep this either. <laughs> this is a terrible chain reaction we've started. It's like somewhere there's hysteria. a listener. Somewhere there's a listener that's going to bed going, CM's thinking, Ben's thinking, CM has straws for eyes. Uh, Which kind of fits into <laughs> El Cuco's MO yeah. of just the domino effect of mm-hmm. its yeah, it, feeding. It's it's a, a very cool just folklore monster. Yeah. yeah. But that added actual idea of what it does. Ugh. It adds such a it makes it so much worse. Mm-hmm. Cause I love any cryptids i i don't know if i've ever talked about that on here but or if it's just obvious that if you love stephen (laughs) king you love cryptids but uh i fucking love cryptids and the idea of a stephen king book just about like a folklore monster is really cool but the fact that yeah he's a, a child murderer cannibal is rough yeah well and the the brutality is that it doesn't stop there what he does to the people he murders is terrible. But then just sitting back and feeding off of the grief yeah. and the persecution of whoever they framed, watching someone's whole life fall apart, watching an entire family basically commit suicide mm-hmm. after the fact, like we get in The Outsider. It's so brutal. And when we at the end finally get to have dialogue with this creature, he's just kind of blase about it. I really wanted him to, I don't know, I wanted the evil villain like monologue that makes him more cartoonish. It's so much so scarier real. that he's not. Yeah. That he's like, this is my shit. Yeah, this, this is what this, I do. I have to eat. You under, like, I'm a, mm-hmm. a creature. What I, am I going to do? Die? I'm several red worms in a suit. <laughs> <That's> a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just with a couple worms stacked on top yeah. of each other wearing a trench coat. Uh, so actually, what you just said, uh, Josh, that the, the feeding on grief is interesting, 
and a great segue into his adversary in this is Leland Gaunt just El Cuco in a grander fashion. Oh, he's El Cuco in a suit. (laughs) (laughs) Several worms in a suit. suit. (laughs) Uh, Not literally, but it's his, he also is feeding on the pain of a town, maybe less literally, but Leland Gaunt has the added bonus in this matchup of just being cool as hell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's let's talk about Leland Gaunt a little bit. Leland, uh, yes, he's he's a mastermind. Like this is this is a character that never has to get his hands dirty in any way, shape, or form. And there is something about that level of being so diabolical that you have to begrudgingly respect it. I think you know. <laughs> It's interesting, too, because I'm, I'm trying to weigh the, you know, because you have, like, is one person suffering more important or a few people than a whole town of people? I feel like Leland maybe has more destruction, like, on a grander scale. He harms more people because he's taking down entire towns, while the jizz monster mm-hmm. harm, you know, he murders somebody and then he frames somebody and it's the family of the child that who was murdered, and it's the family and the person who is being framed for this. And that kind of can spill out, too, into other community members. But I feel like Leland has a higher body count, so I'm, I'm trying to weigh. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's it, not knowing the time that these creatures have existed. Mm-hmm. Assuming they started at the same time, just the way they go about Like a things. race? <laughs> like... <laughs> They met up. (laughs) So here's, uh, we we ran into a similar problem in the last episode, at least I did, where judging, just the concept of this episode is flawed. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, what are we basing it it on? Yeah, well, yeah, it's trying to judge what metric we are basing these matchups on. Is it who has the highest body count? Or is it who is more powerful or who is more evil or who is more interesting Mm -hmm. because those are all different answers. I think it's all of those things. Yeah. (laughs) And it's difficult because if we're basing it, I I think the main thing I am going to be basing my answers on is who is more evil. Mm Mm-hmm. I definitely have a definitive answer for that. I do I too. Well, it's yeah. also keep in mind that when when all said and done, the last matchup of this bracket is good best protagonist evil. versus <laughs> best antagonist. So that that occurred to me also, like when you're thinking about how how you'll the metric you'll judge that last match mm-hmm. by should be partially have be influenced uh, by this way. So uh, I think we all have our answers locked yeah. in. So CM oh, for sure. I'm going to go with Leland Gaunt because the jizz monster, as horrible as what he is doing is, he's his approach is more like, I'm doing this to survive, which is not an excuse. It's not good, mm-hmm. but he's not doing it purely for the you know joy of being horrible. And Leland Gaunt is thoughtfully diabolical and, and plotting, and I think he's just more evil as an antagonist. So I'm going to go with him. Ben? I was going to say exactly the same thing. Mm. The things that El Cuckoo does... Uh, El Cuckoo. Um, <laughs> El Cuckoo does are worse. I, I believe 100% that it, it's just more terrible. 
but El Cuco is um is an animal. Mm-hmm. It's it's like saying who is more evil, that lion that killed a bunch of people in or Africa Ted Bundy. or Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy because he had the capacity to know I'm doing this on purpose. Right. And uh for that and for how fucking cool a smoking jacket is. <laughs> I have to vote for Leland Gorn. It's it's decided. Uh, I, uh, my vote was based on who had the best of Elise. And so <laughs> I, knew I you went were say that. <laughs> uh, going Leland Gaunt. No, I think I, I fully agree with you guys that I think that that deciding factor is that Leland Gaunt doesn't have to do what he does. Right. <laughs> this yeah. Is, it's not he for just, survival. <laughs> he just wants to spend his time this way, I guess. Just it's just his passion. And I also think El Cuco suffers from the fact that we we don't get as much uh, about motives and. I'm sorry. Just, I'm just we get a lot of brutality. I'm picturing Leland Gaunt like just living his best life, <laughs> like with these these signs in his house, like live, love, laugh. <laughs> All right, it's time for our next matchup. Uh, and Ben, we're going to start with you on this one. Uh, this next match is Rainbird versus George Stark. <laughs> I'm so glad it wasn't Fuck. Annie versus George. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> higher power. <laughs> Jesus. This is a fucking powerhouse yeah. match. I'm already noticing how much harder the antagonist <laughs> oh bracket God. is. Yeah. I, <laughs> villains are always more interesting to talk about i i don't read king books for the heroes (laughs) i read it for the the same reason i love batman he has the coolest villains Mm -hmm. okay so goddamn rainbird i find this so hard to talk about the characters divorced from each other (laughs) because especially in this instance because like i said they're both just fucking powerhouses Rainbird is death incarnate. He is a, just a a machine that the government turned into the, a machine. He's, <laughs> he's a man that the government turned into a machine that only cares. A, is single minded. Is he's basically the fucking Terminator, but a person. And the lack of interest in what he does is so upsetting that he does these things and he knows that he's doing these things and he knows they're not good things to do. And he just doesn't fucking care is chilling. Also the whole thing with him that he enters rooms and no one notices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> that's super stuck cool. Stuck with me. Really he goes bad. dim. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he has straws for eyes. <laughs> uh, Rainford. What can he, he's, he's fucking James Bond. If James Bond was a terrifying sociopath. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and I think one thing that makes Rainbird so brutal is every time you you think you have discovered like the depths of his depravity, he does something else that's either worse or more surprising the, the moment, the improvised moment in the blackout, that caught me completely off guard. I would never have expected a level of uh, elegance mm-hmm. from this character who has been so brutal and cunning. It just it took me by surprise. The most terrifying thing about Rainbird for me is 
And I feel like it's going to come down to this probably with all of our antagonists, the intent. Mm. When it's not, when what you're doing is this terrible, awful thing, but you're not doing it for, I don't want to, I'm putting quotes around this, a good reason. It just makes you that much scarier. So he definitely has that going for him. Yeah, he works for the government. (laughs) But uh, technically he does, but he already has in his back pocket how to take it down. So he's he's working for the government as long as working for the government suits his interests, which is also something that's wild about Rainbird, like the level of. The level of control he has over just his whole destiny, basically. The complete lack of any sort of loyalty to any person, concept, nothing. It's, he is, he's dead. Nothing, nothing is sacred. You guys said something interesting that made me think about this too. The level of control he has over himself and everything in his world Indicates to me that he could probably resist killing and he is choosing to do this. He might be someone who kind of has like that compulsion, but he could control that and he just doesn't because he that's how much he does not value other people. For sure. I I do not think he is like a serial killer where he started doing this job because he Mm -hmm. wanted to kill and think it's just killing something he's really good at it's a hobby not a need yeah Um, (laughs) and in the way he he's kind of the embodiment of that uh that saying of the uh only two can keep a secret if one of them is dead (laughs) because we see him like when he shows up in that that dude's room and he's like tell me everything you know about this project and then kills the guy because and imagine how many times he's done things like that over his career Mm -hmm. where Killings people in some points is just an assurance to make sure nobody knows that he knows this. It's like getting out a new toothbrush. Yeah, not anything I've, that I've got to go murder or... my old toothbrush. because yeah. <laughs> uh, somebody might tell him about my teeth. All right, let's uh, jump over to George Stark. George Stark is amazing. <laughs> like George Stark is George Stark is a thrill ride of a villain. Like if uh, it Rain Rainbird is a uh, museum and George Stark is an amusement park. <laughs> that is a fascinating i could go the rest of the episode unpacking yeah i think yeah that's astute uh i love that he's it's the amount of creativity the amount of flair the he can completely disregard most of the rules and logic because he thinks one or two steps ahead and he isn't real. <laughs> That's also gambling with your existence when you don't actually exist. <laughs> pretty easy to do. I'm fascinated by George Stark's motivation because I think in some ways that gives him an edge because he is motivated by by his need and drive to survive. And I, I think that that might in some ways antagonist wise just give him a leg up there's a lot at stake for him more so than for rainbird and the other thing like you guys just said george is fun and i love him i would hang out with him even though i knew it was a terrible idea (laughs) i wouldn't go nowhere near Rainbird. this is why i said i I find it so hard to divorce these two for me talking about them in contrast to each other because 
I see them as so similar. George Stark is equally driven. They both have this singular focus on their goal. If either of these two want you dead, (laughs) you are dead. And so, like, trying to... I, I know we spent three minutes just a little bit ago talking about how judging them by how evil they are makes the most sense. But these two, it's who wins in a fight. (laughs) (laughs) I would watch the fuck out of that fight. Jesus. It would be (laughs) fascinating because they're just both unstoppable. They are, it, it is the unstoppable force, unmovable object. How could either of them win? Which, honestly, in this fan fiction that I'm writing right now in my brain, <laughs> they they don't. They team up. It's a buddy cop movie. And they <laughs> become the fucking Vega brothers and go around doing <laughs> m- doing murders on Hell people. yeah. Ben, when you're done with that book, can you write my George Stark, Annie Wilkes love story? Uh, I actually already <laughs> have that in... <laughs> In a notebook. Good. <laughs> good, good, buried good. in my backyard. It's no. too unpleasant. No one can no one can read it. It's too unpleasant it's, and horny. It uses the words proud flesh in a number of contexts. Oh. Wow. <laughs> so who would win in this fight? Well, all right. So what I was going to ask you guys this question, but I'm just going to answer it myself. And if you guys want to add into it, you can. Because uh, that's how I've decided I want to do this. I, I thought if I were to, if somebody were to ask me to think of a George Stark scene and think of a Rainbird scene, what scenes would immediately come to mind? And for Rainbird, it was the improvised scene mm-hmm. of pretending to be scared of the storm and all of that like, emotionally terrifying manipulation when i think george stark i think well he pushed a dude's uh, a thumbtack through someone's tongue into a wall cut their dick off put it in their mouth (laughs) and sliced the fuck out of them uh and wrote in blood all over their apartment (laughs) just like (laughs) yep that'll happen yeah yeah that's when when i think of them at their at yeah at a knee-jerk response do you guys have different thoughts like if you conjure these characters the first scene you think of I don't even think of a scene for Rainbird. Rainbird is such a a blank slate of a of a character. It's I I think of Rainbird and I just think of the feeling of just void. I if that makes sense. Yes, I was I because I feel the exact same way. And I was just thinking, I actually feel that way about both of them, but slightly different. So for George Stark, I think of just sort of everything about him just his persona that that feeling he has about him that he gives me when I read that story and when I think of Rainbird in my head it's almost like he's described when he's walking into a room it's like this dim space in my head for him it's okay here's what I think of George Stark is you exit a hotel elevator into a hallway covered in blood Mm -hmm. Rainbird is you exit a hotel elevator, you are expecting to walk into a room full of blood, and there's just a guy staring at you. <laughs> <laughs> Both very different kinds of unnerving. Yes. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, I think we've we've said all we need to say. Ben, we're gonna oh, go Jesus. to you first. <laughs> we've said a lot, and I have not come any closer. <laughs> At the end of the day, I think I just have to choose which character I think is more interesting as a character and as fun as George Stark is because he is objectively a much more fun villain he gets to do a lot of cool fucking messy stuff and he melts and gets eaten by birds at the end great (laughs) but as a a character that I want to learn more about that I I would read a Rainbird prequel that like just is about how fucked up this dude is i have to choose rainbird oh this yeah this is real hard god rainbird is so fucking evil and so great and i I think we talked about it in the firestarter episodes that we want that i would read so many stories about rainbird shit but i think george stark has it's the overly dramatic murders (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that really we, we know how much i love a high body count it is very <laughs> 80s movie yeah uh, 80s action movie <laughs> death count yeah it is it, the, the way that he the variety in which he dispatches of people and he does it like you can feel the entertainment value he's getting from it and how much <laughs> how much fun he's having kind of staging it for people to find and that just level of mania makes him so interesting to me and so great to read about. So I'm going to go with George Stark. You know, it's weird. I feel like I'm going to end up making all my judgments based on how much they enjoy their job. Because because <laughs> <laughs> as you were talking, I realized like, because I'm going to have to go with George because he's so fucking cool and fun. But it's sort of the same thing with Leland gone you know he yeah if you could just kind of change that a little bit and yeah he really takes pleasure in what he's doing (laughs) and it it means something to him it's not for survival and george stark also you know puts a lot of thought into the presentation and delivery system he's a a showman (laughs) he is is, and i guess you got me he beat a man to death with his own arm and that's do that i forgot that's pretty great poor homer (laughs) poor homer and before we move on i gotta say that is the right answer. <laughs> if I I know I voted against it, but in reality, had you voted George Stark, I think I might have voted Rainbird just so that Rainbird could get the nod he deserves in this category. I was so on the he fence. He just deserved the honorable mention. He, he He's really a did. Good villain. Yeah. He deserved he it not being unanimous. <laughs> All right, up next, Kurt Barlow versus Randall Flag. Oh, that's easy. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> it's your turn. <laughs> no, when I first drew this, I thought, yeah, that's all right. What a what a mismatch mm. because Randall Flag is Randall Flag. Oh, you're gonna change our minds. <laughs> but I, I went back to uh, all the things that I did not enjoy about Salem's Lot, but the thing that I enjoyed the most is Kurt Barlow because the fact that we get so little of him makes him so terrifying and we discussed in those episodes like imagine imagine the hell that barlow has laid across this planet since he was created and nothing i can't think of a single thing randall flag has done that stands up to the barlow callahan face-off that face-off is so fucking intense 
not only busting in and crushing Mark Petrie's parents' skulls together and smashing them into one another, <laughs> but just placing his hand on the cross and folding it in was one of the most amazing scenes I have ever read. And if Barlow, if, if Salem's Lot was not the end of Barlow's story, Barlow could have had many other books before and after. Mm -hmm. And I can just imagine the, if he's able to do that to a holy man of the cloth, what other unspeakable things would this monster be capable of if his plan had worked and he'd had that whole town to himself? And I just think that's, there's so much to think about there. And that's what I think about when I think about Kurt Barlow. I, I obviously, I had the same thought that CM had immediately. <laughs> and I'm sure that every single listener had <laughs> immediately of, oh, why even talk about this? But that is such an interesting point. That one scene alone, hands down the best scene in the entire book, makes the entire book, elevates it so much. The fact that the entire point of the stand is the ultimate showdown verse of good versus evil is completely shown up by this one chapter, this one page, because you're right. That showdown between uh, of Barlow completely destroying Callahan. Ruining another man's face, uh, faith, face. Well, he ruined, <laughs> he ruined Mark Petrie's dad's face. Oh, <laughs> um, but completely <laughs> destroying Callahan's faith is so much more powerful than two tribes staring at each other through the mountains. I do love a suave villain. The scene where he shows up, what in the dump. That he's just like a mm -hmm. cool Italian guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the downside, when you said Richard Barlow, and this happens every time, I never remember whether that's the vampire or uh -huh. his minion. Yeah, I have that same yes. I, I, I never is the remember whether Barlow or Straker is the main guy. Yeah. Which uh, he doesn't have the name recognition. <laughs> <laughs> that is that, that is true. Well, and Straker was such a cool character in his mm -hmm. own right. That it does kind of steal the limelight away from Barlow as as the villain, too. Yeah. Which, for me, kind of detracts a little bit. Although I will say, I tend to have a soft spot in my heart for vampires just in general. Like, I don't even... They can just be awful, like, Twilight-style vampires. I will forgive it. I love <laughs> vampire stuff. I do have difficulty separating the book Barlow from the movie Barlow. Which you absolutely should. Good. Every 100%. time you say Barlow, I don't even know if this happened in the movie, but it's not, it's an image and a sound. <laughs> and the sound is, <laughs> <laughs> And it just kills all tension. And you imagine his teeth wiggling? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do appreciate what you guys are talking about with that scene with Father Callahan because that is so cool. I just wish that there was more of that. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, let's uh, let's talk about flag. Let's, uh, God, what yeah. I mean, what can you say? We also, if we since we're covering what we've read, we have two iterations say, iteration? of flag yeah. <laughs> uh, that we can draw from. It's hard to argue. We talked about Barlow's 
the history and the mm-hmm. hell he's uh, laid in the world. Uh, Flag has several worlds mm-hmm. that he has mm-hmm. had the chance to lay laced with the chance to uh, lay waste to. So, I mean, if you go body count, nobody has a higher body count than Flag, I bet. Uh, especially if you make him responsible for the super flu. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, what can you say about a dude who can be anywhere at any time, knows your deepest, darkest secrets, the uh, chasing Franny with the coat hanger? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's, it's such a simple but horrifying sequence. The scene I always think about when I think Randall Flag, though, is a weird one. It's the like second scene when he sits out that on that guy's chest. I literally was thinking of that exact same that's scene. Amazing. Yeah, that scene is unforgettable. It, I it's love that so scene. small. And literally I remembered that scene from when I read it in the seventh grade of the just the casual, gleeful cruelty of it is so cool. He's cool. Although I, he I have cool. to agree with Josh, though. Like, my favorite flag scene is, even though that one's really cool, it's the Franny Dream one, mm. where he's just lounging half naked up against a tree. <laughs> <in the forest. laughs> okay. I knew it. We are talking about. I knew it. We are talking about two you, different Randall you, flags. You almost had me. You <laughs> had me for so long. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Speak on that, CM. <laughs> so, Alexander Skarsgård. <laughs> no. The timelessness of him is kind of cool because we have a similar thing with Barlow. I threw myself off with my own joke. <laughs> Do you Honestly, you can, that's a good enough. <laughs> yeah, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> um, here's my thing about Flag. We have exclusively been talking about the stand. That's not all we're talking about randall flag if we're talking about randall flag we are talking about flag the magician we are arguably talking about walter odim also possibly this is what i remembered when they say now yeah also possibly carrie's dad we have yeah. ourselves shoehorned this character <laughs> into so many yeah. books, in that the he's, books not, that he's not in <laughs> right like i think we could make a fair argument yeah. but He's such a cool villain in that he he has you just think of him that way. You think of him on this really huge grand scale. Mm-hmm. Barlow is just one book. Mm-hmm. It's Flag is the second first most arguably most important villain in the multiverse Mm -hmm. you just can't compete you can't i i would argue there is a point of contention that you could make think of how much randall flag we have gotten Mm -hmm. uh, over the course of everything even counting all the things that we haven't covered on the show but we have individually read now how many times has randall flag fucked up <laughs> how bad is flag at what he does for somebody who can read people's minds can teleport pretty much anywhere the dude has fucked up nearly every opportunity oh, he has ever had true he, he had roland at his mercy <laughs> at the be- at the end of the first book spoilers but he's still going barlow fucked has, up and died he fucked 
it, I mean, well, yeah, it only thing. took the one time. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing. Flag has fucked up and died in incredibly stupid ways <laughs> at least twice. <laughs> Just off the top of that my head, true. he has two of the dumbest deaths in King <laughs> King's Ovra. Like, I don't want to spoil anything, but, but book six or book seven does it happen in? Either way, it's sad. It's it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. But I, because I think that Flag, uh, it, Flag suffers from the downfall of, or I guess I shouldn't even call it the downfall because it's the reason I picked George Stark. They like he suffers from the same, uh, just really needing to flourish. Yeah. Uh, but the problem hmm. is that Flag has such a, a grander stage <laughs> that his fuck ups are so much worse. He takes it too far. He That's does. A good point. He's his flair for the dramatic gets him <laughs> like sets himself up for failure. His pride is the reason he will he will never succeed in uh, killing the whole world or taking over the whole world, whatever his fancy happens to be uh, in in whatever plane he's currently in. Uh, meanwhile, Barlow, again, I, I know I've talked about this scene a lot, but just to go back to it one more time, this, he destroys Father Callahan's faith the first time he meets him. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't have the omniscience to read Callahan's mind mm-hmm. and know his whole history. He hasn't uh, teleported around watching him do all these things. He shows up and breaks this dude down in six minutes and it's also so personal yes everything flag does like you said it's it's a grand stage everything he does is the end of the world the end of existence it is all so over the top but barlow is just he could show up I don't know. Eyes of the dragon flag he just wants to rule the kingdom he just wants to control the king he wants to not catch an arrow through the eye. <laughs> and he fucked that plan up. I'm who are you guys voting for? <laughs> <laughs> uh, are we, are we ready to vote? I, I go first. I feel like I've made my stance very, very Have clear. You made your stand? <laughs> <laughs> I've taken my stand and I'm voting for obviously Randall Flack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, CM? Thank you. Yeah, Randall Flagg. Randall Flagg. Yeah. It's, it's, Jeez, I really had you it, for it was a very, it, uh, That was a great discussion. I enjoyed that. But duh. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Now, I'm not saying that he, Randall Flagg is going to just uh, stomp everyone on this bracket. Yeah, but and he's in, clearly going to win. <laughs> in that matchup, like, come on. Yeah. I'm I'm really glad that you guys bought into my argument that I was it's not sure good, if it was good. It's a good I, argument. I was ready to be like, I am baffled. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and it's time for our final matchup. And CM, we're going to go to you first. This final matchup, Annie Wilkes versus Norman Daniels. Oof. Oh, wow. Oof. Oh, I saw that matchup. Oh no! And I was like, "These are okay, bad, bad, eh, kind of easy." Last one, I was like, "Fuck me, man." CM, I'll let you take your pick. Who do you want to start with? Uh, do you want to start talking with Annie or Norman? I don't want to do this. <laughs> I don't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. <laughs> I okay. This is gonna be. I'm gonna try to just pick one. I want to talk about them both so hard. Well, once know, we talk so about hard. them, once we all talk about them once, then okay, we can talk okay. about them all together. Let's start 
with Norman so I can just gather myself for Annie. <laughs> I have a complicated relationship. Norman Daniels is an awful monster. And what kind of makes him worse in a way than George, than Leland Gaunt, than Randall Flagg, which is funny because he's paired up with Annie and this is her thing too. He is just a person. He does not have superpowers. He, there, there's nothing, he's not otherworldly. There's nothing special about him. His, he's just a terrible, awful human being. That is scarier than a monster because it feels so real. And he reflects a lot of actual people like that who are also terrible. And, and you can't escape into a fantasy world with this fun villain. He is not enjoyable because there are men like that who treat women that way. I, I don't even know what else to say about him. Well, something that has that fascinates me about Norman is he is so he's brutal. He's violent. He's terrible. And and again, once you think they can't get any worse, like he he's a monster. But the things he does once he has that bull mask, when he places that mask mm-hmm. on, he does he doesn't transform it in any way, but he becomes even more of a monster. There's there's a point deep enough in Norman that even he had to have permission to hide from himself and mm-hmm. let out, and that mask gives him that permission. And it's interesting, you know, I just made this argument that he's a, a person, not a monster, but we actually do get him becoming a monster. He becomes the bull yeah. when when they enter the painting. And so I'm trying to think of him now, too, in terms of had that version of him continued, you know. Arguably, Norman in the painting is least bad Norman. He's more operating on, like, instinct. and. Well, yeah, he, yeah, I guess. And I mean, he... I don't know. He still seems to have so much agency that... I get my argument, I guess, is that that is in the final chase and he doesn't have the opportunity to do more violent things to people like he has. He has done all of his violence and his body counts leading up to this point. And from when he is in the painting, he doesn't really get. Yeah. But, you know, he'd yeah. bust out of there. He wouldn't even try to take the mask off. He would just be content yeah. being that thing. If and he could escape the painting yeah. and be that monster, he, he would, would stay that way. Yeah, absolutely. Google 40% of cops, 1312, fuck this guy. What about Annie? (laughs) Ben, what do you think about Annie? Annie, fucking, it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be a case of, it's very hard for me to divorce the book from the movie, obviously, Hmm. because Kathy Bates is Mm -hmm. a goddamn national treasure. Yeah, It, It says something that she is just... Like like CM said about Norman, she's just a woman. She's yeah. just a human being. And I put her on the same level of iconic villain as Randall Flagg. Like the fact that I almost want to say, like, what is there to say? It's Annie Wilkes. Mm-hmm. The tension in the and also just to not just go off about how fucking good the book is, <laughs> the the writing, the 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 slow dread, oh, the escalation. It's a good. It's a good book. It's it's a great book. The thing that I, makes Annie so scary is the the flip. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You, she mm-hmm. is completely nice. You're having a great conversation. You're hanging out. You make a joke, barely a joke. She is the most offended, hurt human being that has ever existed and you will pay for this transgression and there's there's no backpedaling it like you you don't you have no idea where the line is but you're gonna cross it annie wilkes is abusive in a different way she's more more psychologically manipulative with her abuse not even intentionally but just because she is so mentally unstable she's so damaged and also to talk bad about my girl Annie, but she kills babies. She did kill a lot of babies. She she is... So can I just kind of talk about the comparison a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So I I think about Norman, and there were more people who suffered his wrath, obviously, but his main focus unfortunately was Rosie, and this is much more of an intimate feeling of somebody doing something wrong and bad. Mm -hmm. And so it's easier to connect with that when it's like one person it's impacting. When it's a lot more people, you kind of lose that human connection and it doesn't seem as as egregious. But really thinking about, okay, Norman terrorized his wife, which is horrible and unforgivable. He got rid of anybody who got in his way and he probably would have continued to do more terrible things. Annie's just killing so many people. And there is that very intimate part of it when it comes to her and Paul too. So it's even scarier that she can be more of this like mass killer, this the serial killer, but also we still get that very connected piece of it where it's just these two people. Annie Wilkes is more frightening to me for those reasons. She runs over a guy's head with a lawnmower. <laughs> Fuck, I forgot. About I that. mean <laughs> shit. That's this. fucking brutal. But and there's still something about her, this very tiny sympathetic thread. It's weird. And it makes me feel uncomfortable that I feel that. And I like I like being challenged in that way. It's yeah, it, it's Norman is so repellent mm-hmm. and so evil and so obviously like has no redeeming qualities whatsoever it's easy to think of him as kind of a one-dimensional villain he is just a force that is you know coming Mm -hmm. he's he is in the distance and he is very scary but it's less he's less human Mm -hmm. than annie who we see is also this uh, force of nature, but also because she has this instability, we see her being just the person that she is. We see what she could be. We Yeah, we see the, the possibility of what she could have been. If, we see hope in, in Annie, which is weird. And it, it, it's so much worse yeah. uh i i mean it, it's the same thing that i said with el cuco and leland gaunt where objectively the things that norman does are worse mm-hmm. i do believe that he is if we're talking about who's the worst person norman wins hands down but who is the better character who is the better villain uh i think it's it's a lot a lot clearer see i think the the amount of hope that we see we've yes 
CM uh, argued that Annie belonged in the protagonist category. <laughs> we uh, we talk- I, I might have told Josh to put her in that category right, we, off we, mic. <laughs> we talk about it all the time, uh, about Annie Wilkes being the hero and all that. But at the same time, that's it's not a complete joke. And to me, that hurts her in the best antagonist category <laughs> that she arguably is not always in a brutal antagonist that she is uh she's just mentally ill and kind of a sociopath <laughs> that <laughs> like her her angel of mercy stuff you know killing all these people and and the only reason that she treats Paul Sheldon the way she does is because she's his number one fan and she needs that book out of him like it's entirely selfish motivations for her but yeah we like there are times where we see like had she gotten help you know had she been like given medication and therapy and stuff there's a chance she could have been just all right norman leaves a man bitten to death tied up in his apartment he bit his penis off he's also a jizz monster he's also kind of a jizz monster the the brutality they call him an excreter. Oh, <laughs> I I hate King a little bit for that. <laughs> no, I think that's a <laughs> no, real, a real term. Thing. It's yeah, a real thing. Bad. But the context in which I learned it will forever <laughs> haunt me. Yeah. Although Norman and Annie both held their quote unquote loved ones prisoners mm-hmm. for a very oh, long yeah, time. Absolutely, there's a lot of parallels there, which I hate to say. <laughs> what I what I would have loved fight scene between Annie and Gert. I would have loved to see that battle go down. Just the names they would be calling each other. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, But I think, and again, this, this is a weird, I find something that when it comes to antagonists, when things don't go their way, how it's handled really impacts how you think about the character. Whereas Norman is so evil when Gert, kicks the shit out of him (laughs) and pees on him it's the greatest fucking victory i like you savor every moment of her beating the shit out of him but you have the same feeling when paul's stuffing burning paper in do you i mean yes (laughs) that is how you feel (laughs) but i I guess yes yeah the end of annie is definitely brutal it's again, it's not as I don't think it felt it, it didn't feel as satisfying. And it may be because that's that's the end. Yeah. Whereas this ass kicking happens in the middle of the book and you're like, the fuck happens <laughs> now? Uh, and maybe that colors it a little bit. Uh, because when when Paul does it, it's the, you know, yeah, heroic. This is the I'm, I'm I'm getting to safety. But then to find out that she crawled halfway to the barn afterwards. It's like great. He's a rock. <laughs> yeah. Tank. It's so brutal. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I, I just, I think the severity for me, uh, it, that, that's, it, it's a big game changer because Annie is so sympathetic. Whereas Norman is, is a monster. So who gets, to uh, CM, CM goes first. You make a very compelling argument, Josh, for Norman being a better antagonist just because he is, the things he does are so egregious. I, not just because I love Annie, I have to give it to Annie though, just for the sheer, I mean, she killed so many people and she had that scrapbook 
And if it was just Paul, if it was, well, Paul and, and the one before him, if it was just more things like that, she wouldn't seem as big of this bad to me. But because she has this incredible history of destruction behind her, wherever she goes. And Norman's starts, ugh, and I know there's more before that, but I mean, his is more so related to Rosie finally escaping him and his pursuit of her. Annie is to me more chaotic because it's just like, wow, you don't know if you're safe. She's just like, what's the rhyme or reason? She's just killing these these sick people and sometimes they're not even that sick. Norman, stay out of his way and you're safe. Don't be involved with his shit. So um, that makes Annie more of a threat to me. Ben, here's how I'm thinking about this because like we've said, there's really a weird amount of parallels between the two of them, the their their methods and the their methods and the madness. The only way I can make a decision between the two of them is to think of them as the movie Silence of the Lambs versus the movie Funny Games. All right. Yeah, they are both about serial killers. They're both very good, in my opinion, but I would watch Silence of the Lambs again. You know what I mean? Annie Wilkes is, and the book Misery as a whole is so good. Every single aspect is just, it it sucks you in and is gripping, well told. And Annie is just like a quintessential King villain. And I will return to that book over and over again. Rose Matter And Norman is a terrifying villain and he is every bit as as awful. And and like I said, he's what he does is worse, but it's too real. It is too uncomfortable. I read the book once and it is very good. And I if I ever decide to go back and reread Rose Matter, I think it will be a struggle because it is just it's a difficult read and so for that reason i have to i have to vote for annie wilkes i thought you're gonna say norman because it kind of <laughs> what, what you were saying made it seem like he he would be a better villain because you can't even revisit him again <laughs> that's one way to look at it i yeah. I, I this one is so close yeah that it could have gone either way mm-hmm. i just more or less, I'm saying I really I like love Annie the book Misery. Better. It's one of my favorites, and I just who knew that it would be a popularity contest with our antagonist. You're right. As far as my vote, I'm actually also going Annie Wilkes. Really? The the reason being, this is this is what the deciding factor came down to me. And with Rose Matter and with Norman, there are you know that when Norman enters the scene. Someone is is going to die. You you are on the edge of your seat. Yes. But there are plenty of times in Rose Matter where I felt safe. There is not a single chapter of misery hmm. that I yeah. ever I ever <laughs> felt comfortable or safe the entire time I read it. And that, to me, that just it pushes it pushes Annie Wilkes over the edge. Like, yes, she had some sympathetic tendencies, but that only made those sharp turns scarier. Mm-hmm. 
So we have Annie Wilkes moving oh, on. Yay. All <laughs> right. Sorry, I'm happy. I <laughs> thought it was going to be Norman. I thought <laughs> it, it was never really okay. a choice in my head. All right. Uh, before we go, uh, we only have one more episode left and we are going to get down to our winner. So before we go, I'm going to recap what the matchups for next episode are going to be. We will have Alan Pangborn versus Charlie McGee. Rose McClendon versus Andy Dufresne. Leland Gaunt <laughs> versus George Stark. No. Randall Flagg versus Annie Wilkes. No. I'm not, wow. I won't be here. I can't. They That's all... a fucking <laughs> lineup. <laughs> There's oh. some insane battles ahead, and I cannot wait to get to I, this episode. I need our listeners to weigh in. This is so hard. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Jerry Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we will crown the winner of our antagonist versus protagonist bracket. For CM Alexander and Benjamin Graham, I'm Joshua Khan reminding you, uh, what do I usually say? Stay brackets. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you so much for listening to March Madness Part 2. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, please find us on social media at Dairy Public Radio or send us an email with your brackets at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.